0: A2 Millennials, then falls Society. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the 90s, kids' cartoons, and analogue media. Enjoy! Hello there, and welcome back to A2 Millennials. I am Louise Duncan, and today I am joined by...
1: Scott Blair. Hello there.
0: And we're going to be talking a little bit about children's cartoons in the 90s and what influenced sort of our viewing of media and and our media consumption at the time, um, covering a little bit of the dip into the 80s and then sort of moving on forward from there. Because I think we both watched a lot of very strange TV shows. Oh,
1: no, I absolutely agree. Um, It's kind of... That's the thing as well, is that just... Because like, well, I mean, my, I got a lot from my parents and, and they kind of watched stuff in the 70s and 80s. And then I watched stuff in the 90s and the 90s. And, you know, it's very kind of interesting just seeing that development of getting introduced to things, watching things yourself, and then mm. seeing how things are now, uh, which is very interesting.
0: Yeah I also remember that kind of Danger Mouse, um, Button Moon, Herb Garden were those ones which I remember sort of inspired me um, because they were bizarre and made on such a shoestring budget and then moving on to things that kind of developed. um, Absolutely
1: I remember I had a dvd and it was very much like a kind of, you know, like your bargain bin. You get like yeah. DVDs that have like collections of things. Danger Mouse was on there. Had Count mm. Duckula. Have you ever heard of oh, Count Duckula?
0: Count Duckula was the best. <laughs> yeah.
1: I just, I love, I love that concept, and I feel like it would do so well nowadays. Just this mm. uh, vegetarian vampire going around the world and stuff, and then also like Rainbow. Um, the TV yeah. show Rainbow uh, with the puppets and such.
0: Well, it was one that um, I think my parents—I mean, my parents—must have found for me, and I think really fits in with that millennial time frame. Was Trapdoor, which was made in 1984, yes. absolutely, um, and it's it's one of those entirely plaster scene. I think all voiced by one guy that does voices, um, though possibly they maybe had more cast for Trapdoor um Mm -hmm. and and the the episodes are five minutes it's incredibly short um very precise storytelling that can kind of wind up and you can tune in whenever I think they only ever made two seasons but I think it's that kind of thing that started to show a shift in kids media of like what can we do um you know that there's this blob with eyes feet and hands and that's it that is living yeah. these adventures
1: oh no absolutely it's um you know it just kind of harkens back to kind of like you know simpler kind of simpler ideas and then kind of interesting ways of animation i mean like in the in the 80s and such you got kind of the introduction of pingu and
0: that's right
1: um we and you know we got kind of a lot of other things. Um, I'm just trying to think of some off the top of my head. Uh, Clangers uh, and then also uh, I I mean I don't know if you watch much of it but I remember watching a little bit as a kid uh, because my parents had VHS tapes of it. uh, Fraggle Rock.
0: Oh, Fraggle Rock, um, linked in with Jim Henson puppetry, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, it is. It's, it's it's a. I think it was. It's not one of his last projects. I think, but it was one of his big projects. I was. There's some really interesting like history of videos on YouTube at the moment of kind of looking at the history of Fraggle Rock, and it's really interesting seeing how it was developed. It was. you know it was the first? Uh, this is quite an interesting fact. It was the first. Um, American TV show to be shown in the Soviet Union.
0: Oh my gosh! Why a Fraggle Rock of all of all things? It's
1: like a workers. Hmm. It's like a workers' society. You know, it's guess, they work yeah. for the betterment of each other. But uh, it was <laughs> it was shown in the it shown in the kind of late eighties. It was shown in the in the Soviet Union, and then a few years later, the Berlin Wall fell. And uh, oh my god! Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's all because of Fraggle Rock.
0: And it was actually the little fraggles underneath the Berlin wall. No, I won't make jokes. Um... <laughs>
1: but yeah, no, I think one thing as well that kind of I really think about when thinking about kind of kids' media is how much it's advanced over yeah. the three decades of the, I mean, end of the 80s, 90s, into the nineties and into the tens as well. Um in how very much it's gained consciousness, you know, and it's also just increased in complexity. I mean, when Mm. you think back to kind of the 80s and 90s, it's all a kind of, it's very simple stories, very simple media, you know, it's kind of like, you can tune it any time, story of the week kind of thing. Um, And there's no overarching kind of story plot. And then that starts to kind of, I mean, there's, examples of it changing in the 80s and the 90s i mean you have things like uh you know gargoyles um which is something Mm. i watched quite recently which was a very kind of big 90s um disney show that was part of their kind of like tv programming uh which is basically about a bunch of gargoyles who are from scotland and they get moved to america to new york And it's kind of, you know, going into that kind of serial stories, getting a bit more complex. You have to kind of watch quite a few to, well, you can tune in any time, but then you have to watch quite a few to kind of understand the story. And I feel like nowadays with things like Steven Universe and we've had things such as Gravity Falls, which are just the two I can think of off the top of my head. They're very complex in their narratives now, and you kind of have to keep watching to kind of get an idea of the story and um, to really appreciate it.
0: Well, I think even just the the change in media format um, has added complex layers Mm. in the fact that, you know, you're mentioning VHS, which is, of course, something I I distinctly remember, um, and we still have some of the older ones um, on TV. I have
1: one VHS um, left, which I actually have in my cupboard right next to me here, uh, which is Digimon (laughs) the movie.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, produced
1: by Fox Kids. Um, it's missing the complimentary CD that came with it. Um, oh, no. But um, it is still uh, very much intact. It has a pre-show uh, short from Angela Anaconda, which was a nightmarish <laughs> show um, where the animation just yeah. still terrifies me to this day.
0: Hmm. And then I think as well, at least in our lifetimes, we saw that transition to DVD and then on to digital and oh. um, that I think it's something I've said before has not just increased our generation in learning how to adapt, but it also has a, it's sort of sh- shown us that that technology has a lifespan mm-hmm. Um and and do you remember like micro micro discs or micro DVDs? They were just these tiny DVDs that held maybe one or two minutes on them. It was bizarre. Yeah.
1: I, I remember, yeah. Uh, you had like you got maybe like at, at most you got an episode or two and they would often fit into like specially made DVD or C D players. And yeah. um you got you got the same for games consoles. So right. I remember um I had a Game Boy Advanced um Advance SP which was kind of you know the flip up one uh with the with which had all full color and I remember used swish. to get little cartridges that would have maybe free episodes of whatever they got the license to show so I know there was like a SpongeBob one there was an Invader Zim one uh, a lot of Nicktoons kind of stuff and then you know you got kind of like you just got a few episodes, which you could pop in and play. Uh, and it's really interesting just seeing, um, the kind of just how much things have advanced in our lifetime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then also just kind of seeing streaming now, I mean, you can stream to your games, consoles, your handhelds, and your phones like we would with these simple cartridges. well I mean, you used to have two or three episodes in these cartridges, and now we have whole seasons. Infinite.
0: Yeah, you're right, and I think there is that kind of it's it's sort of scary in a sense. And I think for for other millennials who are possibly you know raising kids at this point of of how do you even start that introduction because though. There is sort of a, a preservation of media that we can find access to all of this now. There isn't. Oh, I kept my favorite VHS for my kids. You know, there's kind of a, um, a, a kind of a tactile uh, passing on of your favorite items, which sort of don't quite exist in the same way.
1: It, yeah. I mean, that is quite an interesting way of looking at it. Like, I don't have a VHS player, but I have a single VHS, which um, I can show them as a physical thing. But then I would probably go into YouTube or um, some kind of streaming service to show them the actual film that's on that VHS. And it's, it's, I think I, it kind of reminds me, oh, I was actually just looking at something before we started here, where it was a, someone had posted on Twitter, a question about stranger things. And yeah. two of the characters were in a, you know, like a kind of film development room for photography. And they were like, what's the significance of this red light room? It's so strange. What oh, are they doing? Yeah. Is that something to do with like photography or something like that? Is it some kind of weird film yeah, science is it place? Red? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, that's like it's, it's a development room. It's like cassette tapes as well. Like I used to use cassettes when I was a kid and my parents used to record my voice on cassette and it used to be quite funny to play back. And it's so interesting now that when my cousins are over, when I'm at home and they see that my parents still have their kind of CD mm, cassette player collection. and they're like, what's that? What's that cassette there? And what's that, what's that box? And it's like, that's a cassette it plays yeah. music. And it's, but that's the kind of thing of our media. We've grown up when such a time of advancement that it's, we're in a very different place kind of, as we're kind of in our 20s and early 30s now than we were you know back when we first were born
0: yeah and i think yeah i'd like to talk a little bit about um those ideals that we used to get and i think you touched upon this earlier with that kind of growing complexity that i think it, it is not just that you know society is more complex but i think you're right in saying that there's kind of a self-awareness. And I think with that creeping in of modernity, um, all forms of media kind of had to grow up. And, and this includes, at least in my eyes, children's television. And so something that I remember being a little postmodern, mm-hmm. but that I watched a lot, was was Dick and Dom in the Bungalow, which is a very oh my British God. TV show. I... And I've, I've recently gone back to watch some episodes and just... Wondering how on earth this ever got made um, <laughs> as a as a, just a piece of. History. I
1: I loved it as a kid as well. I remember taking pictures with my pants on my head because that's what they used to do. And I remember yeah. I remember putting my application into um, watch to be part of the show uh, when I was in primary school and. Uh, basically as we got a you've been accepted letter they cancelled the show so uh, we were very disappointed me and my friends but it's really quite i i know dick and dom it's one of those kinds of things of it's just very silly there's no message to it but it's brilliant and just kind of the humor that it does and the memories and just kind of all the kind of games that these contestants will be put under and it's
0: well the the level of interaction that it started to get that it had the website and it also had the phone that you would call in and you would you know you would not just call in during episodes to submit your ideas but you would also then be interacting online on the websites and you'd also be watching saturdays and sundays and i think that kind of multimedia thing was only really starting to grow at that point um even though actually dick and dom's Uh 2000s it's a bit later. But it's really interesting how it's sort of constructed kind of like radio. You don't really have to be watching it but then it also then cuts between to the actual TV shows that are being shown between it. yeah, It's a bizarre... The
1: CBBC CBBC especially, kind of when we were growing up, was really clever at that kind of having that kind of presenter between shows and having the kind of humour and comedy there um, just kind of like in a kind of presenting kind of way which you don't get i i I haven't seen cbbc in years to be perfectly honest so i don't know if they still do it but it's kind of you know it's very kind of evolved and different now it's like if you look at kind of any normal kind of cartoon network or something like that where they used to have like bumpers and stuff uh, you don't get much of that anymore it's basically just advertising and i think that's kind of one of the changes as well where Well, that's kind of one of the changes to media as a whole, where I'm just trying to think how to describe this. uh, I mean, children's media was invented as advertising.
0: Yeah. It, it, It didn't have that focus of we aim to create something good. You're right. And stuff like the Transformers series and things sort of made to sell toys. Yeah. I love and Transformers
1: so, but it, it's advertising.
0: Yeah, and I think that is a really interesting that there's sort of at least that shift definitely sort of in British media sort of 2000s but again I think even the 90s had a little bit of a move I think definitely the the Simpsons as a TV show and gaining popularity sort of showed people that uh, animation doesn't have to sort of just be simplistic, I think, I think, because it, it showed a range of of diverse emotions, mm-hmm. and it was very funny. Um, and as of course, the show grew, it became less sort of just slapstick. I know there was some brilliant writers behind it as yeah. well, you know, visual gags and, and sort of all sorts of really just great jokes, and music and, and kind of, I think that really helped grow up media because then at that point as well the people who were working and making it were thinking fondly of the stuff they loved as kids mm-hmm. and it was right i want to make content that that is good and loved rather than that is just advertising
1: i would definitely agree i mean as new writers have kind of evolved and developed and animators as well uh we have gotten kind of nostalgia is an important part in that process where they think back to what did i enjoy as a kid but what do also I think one thing that I hear from a lot of kind of writers is is that they don't make shows for kids. Whereas back yeah. in the kind of eighties and nineties, you made shows for kids. They make shows for everyone, they make shows that they would enjoy. And that is the kind of content you're getting now. And it's very interesting. I mean I still watch a lot of animated stuff nowadays where maybe back in the seventies or eighties or nineties uh it would kind of be kind of frowned upon it's a normal thing nowadays and it can be kind of stuff that is for all ages like i would say gravity falls is a good example of that or it could be things that are for more tailored to adults where a lot of people who used to work on these kinds of shows have moved up i mean a good example of that is bojack horseman
0: yeah Hmm. Um, and, and I think there's a similar thing has happened with um, DuckTales in particular since it's had its its modern yeah. remake is I know a lot of the cast um, and crew that are working on it loved the show as a kid and are sort of simultaneously making it for them who loved it, but also for their own kids. Um, I, and I think that's a really interesting situation.
1: I, I, I agree. I watched it not too long ago with my cousin. Who is oh, about seven, eight, I think, um, and me being about 20, 23, 24. Uh, it was quite interesting for us both to watch, and we both really enjoyed it. It was very kind of, you know, it's very funny. We only watched the first few episodes, and I, kind of not, I'm, I'm want, it's on my list to watch some more. Uh, but it's interesting, just it as something you would expect from the nineties, being only enjoyed by young people. It's something that everyone can enjoy now and I think that's the kind of thing with media and especially animation we need to think of animation less as a genre for kids and more as a medium in media
0: Uh, uh, another way of telling a story yeah exactly Um, exactly Um, can I ask you this did you find um, watching this content as you grew up gave you a specific interest in it do you think the availability of uh, these new types of media or these types of media being explored gave you an interest that you wanted to sort of know more and watch more
1: absolutely absolutely i would say that is the same that would be for myself uh, i wouldn't be studying film media if it wasn't for animation mm-hmm. i would probably put that out there right now i remember when i was when i was kind of about you know seven to ten uh i loved wallace and gromit i loved stop motion animation as kind of an art style i used to adore aardman and everything that they did and i still do um and i used to want to be a stop motion animation artist but that very much grew into working in film and media and then kind of to the kind of stuff where i work in cinema and exhibition right now it's you know Mm -hmm. it's very influential And it's very influential on people's career options, on their kind of humor, on their aspirations as as kind of, you know, as a strong, a strong influence, I would say.
0: Well, I think I think that's a really good point of pinning or or of of bringing out stock motion animation, because, of course, that has had such a huge um, sort of resurgence and growth, um, especially with sort of Starting with Nightmare Before Christmas, that kind of pioneered a whole mm-hmm. lot of different stuff in the nineties, um, and then creating huge teams of people that are just incredibly talented, and um, we've got Ardman of course, and the Leica company, which makes just brilliant, absolutely brilliant it's... films. Not even short films, full full feature films that are just visually stunning and and touching stories.
1: Mm. stop motion like since this like since the si- 60s and 70s has really come into its own uh, with companies like Ardman and Leica and people like um, Henry Selick who directed Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach and Coraline yeah. um, it's really you know it's really oh, I, I, I mean I, I love stop motion I think it is such a kind of great it's 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 kind of like the bridge between live action and animation in it being kind of you know physical yet so animated where you can do anything
0: yeah well it kind of harks back again to something very tactile and something very analog in in a strange way of the sort of continuous digitization of the world because of course now no st- no stop motion film will be purely stop motion. There will be elements of, yeah. of digital and composition and, um, you know, CGI involved in there. But it's that kind of, it sort of harks back, yes, to kind of another era. Um, and interesting you say James and the Giants Beach because, of course, they're currently remaking it. What? Um, really? Yep. Or at least there was rumors. There was rumors of remaking rumors. it. Um, whether that was with fully live action or CGI, I'm not entirely sure.
1: It's quite interesting how they did it, Henry Zellick did it then, in it being live action at the start, live action at the end, and stop yeah. motion entirely in the middle. Uh, and it's really, it's, it's a film I haven't seen in a long, long time, but it's one that I have yeah. fond memories of watching when I was younger. Um, it's yeah, it's it's really quite an interesting one. And that's another kind of thing as well that we're seeing kind of in media now very much in the past kind of five to ten years is the kind of remake. Yeah. And things that we remember seeing in our lifetime and seeing on the, on the screen and in our homes and it was made in our lifetime, but is we're seeing these stories come up again in a different fashion i mean that's been kind of paranoid by disney most of all with their Mm. kind of live action remakes which in my opinion are very hit and miss it's you know it's yeah it's either they're really quite it's, it's it's either just too much like the original and it doesn't do anything interesting or it does something incredibly interesting like i really enjoy the first maleficent i think it really kind of you know it it takes an interesting story that was sleeping beauty and it flips it on its head and takes it from a different perspective and takes it in a different direction whereas then you get something like beauty and the beast which is just a kind of carbon copy yeah and extra songs but they're not really doing much and it's not really seen. the worst offender in my opinion and i my, it's quite funny uh my, my one of my best friends loves this film and i hate it, with an absolute passion is lion king and i think <laughs> as like a piece of art it is very interesting it's amazing how we can get cgi to be so believable that it looks real but then also it's just so lifeless compared to the original. I mean, I remember watching Lion King. Lion King was the first film I saw ever. And it was just so right, well-crafted yeah. and, you know, very bright and vibrant. And there was none of that in the remake. And it's just, it's it's kind yeah. of, you know, you're either going to hit it well and do something interesting or you're just going to make the same film and it's not going to be as good as the original, in my opinion anyway. Though I'd love to be proved wrong.
0: And I think Lion King is a line I think Lion King is a really good example because um within that they have also gone off and made the stage show, which I've seen a couple of times and and is is sort of so involved and beautiful, and they do some really brilliant stuff with staging and costumes, and again there's an involvement of puppetry um and and it really is sort of a marvel to go and see and so i was i did have quite high hopes for kind of a remake of a film but you're right there's something slightly uncanny valley because it's so realistic they they are lacking emotive expressions which i think they Mm -hmm. managed to kind of achieve a bit more in the mowgli remake because again it was a bit more cartoony um and I think the brilliant stuff, like we had Becoming King that Beyonce went and made with a bunch of different yeah. artists. And that's just a beautiful piece of sort of um, explorational music and culture and wonderful. So I'm I'm so glad that out of a not so great mimic mm. of a film, we've had a wonderful piece of art. But yeah, yeah it's it's not something that I... Would either take myself to or or take younger relatives to was oh my god you've got to see this new Lion King because it doesn't have that sense of wonder that I think yeah. the the kind of Disney movies at least brought up in me as a kid.
1: It's interesting kind of thinking about kind of musical kind of site you you brought up kind of Disney musicals, and it's really interesting seeing how these kinds of things are adapted to this to the kind of stage there's a really interesting book that kind of goes into the details of this called disney war which very much goes mm. into the history I, I quite like an history of kind of animation and animation companies and it's a an interesting book if you're wanting to get into the kind of 90s at disney and it kind of goes into the um oh, goodness me i forget names but kind of the the kind of you know, the goal, the kind of the Disney golden age or uh, kind of the renaissance, that's the Disney renaissance uh, mm. where we got kind of amazing films like Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, um, Little Mermaid, uh, Mulan, Pocahontas, you know, things that are a staple today. And it goes into the history of kind of Michael Eisner's 20 years. Mm. Who, he was the chairman the CEO at the time. And he's a very, you know, we wouldn't have the Disney what we have today without Michael Eisner and he's someone that if you go to your kind of hardcore Disney fans, he's either loved or hated and it's quite interesting to see.
0: They talk about that kind of gap from The Little Mermaid which kind of hit off that new renaissance and I think it is till Tarzan, right? That then suddenly the movie musical sort of dipped off Um, and as somebody who, who was very much grown uh, or brought into a world that was disney princesses and musicals as someone who just loves musicals um mm-hmm. i watched all of them and a lot and and sort of loved and hated ideas um and i think it is really incredible the kind of those those disney princesses that we see now that is sort of moana and and frozen and these much more I guess it's just not those old, old fashioned ideas, which I oh. think already in our time, we're starting to fade, but definitely by princess and the frog, you've got a lot, you've got a lot more interesting stuff going on. Um, but I think even the little mermaid now is a little dated. Mm, um, you know, not to speak of things like snow white from the thirties and, and even sleeping beauty. The original is quite old now. um, but there was something sort of beautiful about it at the time. And, and it has kind of gone on to be aged. Whereas yeah. those Disney Renaissance ones are kind of too young to be, you know, I mean, they're already being remade. But they're sort of too young to be old, kind of still within the mind's eye and the the culture. Um I mean some of the songs from it are just still so iconic, but yeah, there are sort of bits which are sort of, Oh, okay, that's weird. She's fourteen or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I And Yeah. yeah.
1: I would agree. It's it's like I would kinda hearken this back to talking about kind of like consciousness and awareness in the kind of writing of these things. Like back in the kind of saying a silver a golden silver age of kind of disney you had like snow white and sleeping beauty and they were very much just let's put these fairy tales on screen and set a president uh and it was more about the art form than anything they wouldn't really care about a good message or writing and then you got the disney renaissance and you had you know they were getting there you know you had princess jasmine for example uh wanting kind of to make her own choices in that yep, and that's you were, right you were kind of getting there but they were still kind of you know playing it safe doing it for things whereas now I think you have writers and you have artists and creatives who are very much aware of our society and the present issues that face it and everything like that and they put it into the art that they make uh, so you get films that like I hate when people say, oh, I don't want to watch a film that does this. It's too political. Everything's political. Mm. Everything in our world, everything is influenced by politics and politics is influenced by everything. And I think that when someone says, oh, I don't want to watch, oh, they, they've they made something political by having this in it. And it's just, it's stupid because like everything like even back when you had like transformers advertising that was influenced by politics it was influenced by the market and it was a way to boost sales and then the government stepped in to uh stop that kind of thing where advertising for children was bad and it's just really interesting to see how politics always comes into our media And even things for kids, even things that are based, not for kids, but are made predominantly for their enjoyment, uh, are influenced by them now.
0: Well, I I think there is something in that idea. And of course, us studying media is kind of, I don't think of media as not like this, but it's that media is made because of the context that it is in that you cannot you cannot just remove that out with the context and and sort of enjoy it like that um in the same kind of way that that everything is pinned to the time whether that is the technology itself whether that is the writing whether it is how the show treats with minorities um that kind of all comes tied together and i think that's an interesting one of sort of politicizing it because uh, i've recently been watching red dwarf which is just a good oh, yeah. meme overall, but very much made in the 80s and, and through to the 90s and still going. Mm-hmm. Um, and like two of the four main characters are of colour and it was kind of never brought up. Um, though there's a little, there's a couple moments in the humour, but it's something that they themselves have reflected on it now saying that's something which we would have tackled or that's something we would have had an episode about or whatever um, because it's such a different climate, but also it doesn't it doesn't seem odd when you go back and watch it because it was sort of natural even though it was very uncommon for the time mm-hmm. and i and i think that is right that that they kind of were and weren't making a political statement you know there was no nothing aggressive done by it but just in doing it the statement is that this is acceptable and this is how it should be um in the same way of you know writing women that actually talk to other women about something that's not men you know that arguably shouldn't be politicized but is something that is still not very common in most TV shows, at least that I watch, I always do that as a test, and I always end up very unhappy. Um, yeah, I forget but, the name. But yeah, it's a
1: test. Yeah, it's
0: it's just as important, I think, in children's media and family viewing media and any media that we create stuff that is of quality. And I think, yeah, if you're showing it to kids, they're gonna be picking up on it too. They're smart. They're t- you know taught how mm. to watch and how to absorb. And I think more than ever. Having that um, grown up and intelligent media is really important.
1: It's it kind of ties into messaging in media. I mean, media always has a message to give. That's the kind of bare bones kind of way of looking at it. And uh, kind of children's media from our day and kind of the current day is very interesting in how how these kinds of messages nowadays are received because like very like young like very preschool kids like I, I used to watch like Brum and
0: um <laughs> Brum and what a meme just
1: I like I couldn't speak properly when I was that age and Brum couldn't speak mm. and we related on an emotional level and it was beautiful um I'm trying to think of kind of other pre-kit like kind of preschool kind of shows the messaging is very kind of you know you have to kind of be kind of a bit like Teletubbies you have to be straight with them and you have to you have to kind of if you're going to have a message in your media you have to kind of just put it from front of them because they're not going to understand in any kind of complex way and then Mm -hmm. as you kind of get older and older and we've kind of seen this with things the messaging becomes different and uh, I, I i like kind of thinking about avatar which has had a big resurgence recently since it's been kind of made available to stream um yeah the kind of messaging in that about spirituality and all these kinds of things it's it's never really kind of it's talked about in the show between the characters but never kind of pushed heavily to the audience and it's something that you kind of pick up from it yourself and yeah we've kind of seen and i mean back in the 80s and 90s You know, some, a lot of shows didn't have messaging and they didn't really, they were made as something to be purely enjoyed without having to learn anything. But nowadays, you know, it's very easy to make something enjoyable and you're learning about something at the same time. And I mean, that's what a lot of kind of animated stuff is about. It's about learning.
0: I think there is something interesting that I do remember. Arthur, I don't know if you ever watched that one. Oh, yeah. Um, And that that was very much positive and working together and Mm. sorting through problems. And it sort of, it had a couple episodes where they're like, we're going to deal with, you know, this kid's parents are divorcing or Mm -hmm. this is happening to this one. And it was a little after my time, but I remember hearing that they had a dyslexia episode. One of the characters is dyslexic and they sort of talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, people will hark on about, oh, you know, my kids don't need to know that. Or, oh, stop trying to make it special. But just the idea that a kid could watch it and go, oh, that's me and it's okay, I think is really important.
1: Arthur has been quite good for that. I remember there was a news story that came out not too long ago where... One of the main characters, I think one of the the teacher, uh, he was gay and they had a gay mm. marriage episode where oh, they showed him getting married. And that it was lovely, wonderful. Mm. But I remember there was a lot of American channels who showed it who were like, <laughs> we don't want this, you know, influencing our children. Like, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing. It's like people want to see themselves in media and I see no problem with something like that and showing like a a gay marriage because it's a very normal it's a normal thing it's yeah. it's amazing thinking how when we were young gay marriage wasn't a thing it, in many places and it was still very you know we're coming out of the 80s when it was very kind of you know you had the aids pandemic and it was very stigmatized yeah. and we've kind of it's come into its prime in our lifetime and it's a very beautiful thing to be perfectly honest it's wonderful to see Mm. Uh, and it's interesting to see how that is reflected in our media where you know uh, you don't get many stories like that anymore but uh, you but like nowadays very much in kind of children's media now you have a lot of things where it's um, it's like Steven Universe is a good example where you are kind of seeing you know uh, and they can't say it directly they do it through the gems themselves where it's like like kind of you know same-sex partnerships and stuff like that and it's very kind of it's it's wonderful to kind of see in our modern media that be represented and it's and I think it kind of ties into the writing it's like the writers want to do something that's interesting and they want to do something that isn't that People, everyone can enjoy and everyone can learn from and appreciate, and I think that's kind of ties into the kind of messaging and the politi- And it's not politicizing. It's that's what people who don't like these things think it is. It's just showing normal life, and that is normal life.
0: Yeah, because for so many, I think there there is a hope and a want to see that normalized. Um, and we've got to remember that, of course, gay marriage is not accepted everywhere. It is definitely um, not and and that is still a huge problem um but even just things like the the idea that you know being gay isn't a punchline or, or just the way that sort of some things are phrased i think yeah can make mm-hmm. for really interesting content because i think tv has always sort of reflect i mean all media has always kind of reflected our lives and so Again, it can't just be that things are more complicated now, but I think it's that we're at a stage where we're ready to start dealing with some of these more complicated issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that that is also reflected in children and growing media, especially for us, you know, means that we are only going to go on and make more interesting and complicated media. I think something that sort of sparked... Um, a uh, a uh, a big kind of venture is definitely Adventure Time because a whole yeah. load of the writer and animators of that show have all gone on to do their own complex and beautiful, um, kind of show, and you wonder what happened in that studio that there's so many it's talented a, it's people. A, it's like a
1: catalyst. It was it was very much yep. like. I I kind of, I know a little bit about Cartoon Network history because I'm that much of a kind of a nerd for these things. (laughs) Wonderful. And it was very much, they were coming out of a period of, they were coming out of a period of experimenting with live action. Nothing was really working. They didn't have any kind of original programming in the pipeline. Then they got Adventure Time and they had things that came out after that, like regular show and uh, Gumball and, you know, and very much all of the shows that came out of adventure time like steven universe like o k k o um We bear bears and it's just you know it's very much it has been a catalyst and i i think we wouldn't we we wouldn't be having animation that interests not only young people at the moment but our generation as well because it was something in high school you know you get to high school uh, I remember my grandparents being like, "Oh, you don't want to watch those kiddie shows anymore, Scott." Uh, but it's something like my friends were watching Adventure Time. It was something that could be enjoyed by everyone. They were making they were making wallets for God's sakes of Adventure Time on them. You know, there was an audi- an older audience uh, for it, and it's just really interesting to kind of see.
0: And I think that that is the interesting thing that, as you know, now Gen Z is pattering out, and I guess it's the new Gen Alpha that's coming afterwards. <sighs> um, that exciting new gen of children. The time. Um, <laughs> they
1: are changing.
0: <laughs> I think I think this really this really mature and and well handled media, you know, can only progress to get more. Um, And so I, you know, I'm really excited to sort of see where it goes.
1: Absolutely. Like it's, it can only like, it's really interesting just to see how these things evolve. And as technology advances and we start to explore things more like VR and interactive media, it'll be interesting to see how it adapts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say or add to this?
1: not really no it's i mm-hmm. i feel like we've had a kind of you know it's been really kind of interesting to talk about um and it's like animation such an important thing for me so it's really it's it's really kind of lovely to reflect on how it has influenced our lives how it has influenced change how it has influenced the kind of the media that we get now both for young people and for kind of our audience still today um and i've really've had, had a nice conversation. anything from yourself
0: yeah I've got one story I'll share before we end this, oh, and it. it's um of my gran in the car used to put on tapes to entertain me and my sister, especially oh, for longer yeah. car journeys or while she was out working we'd be sat in the car and we'd listen to these tapes, and one was of the goonies oh kind of a, a bit of a relic now, but um it was this one bit that of course as you know, being a user of tapes yourself you understand that as tapes get older they start to sort of the tape itself starts to degrade and they can speed up and slow down and distort a bit. And it was this one bit that was about a bagpipe powered car. You know, that was funny in itself because they had these funny bagpipes playing that would sort of over time. And, and I think that's an experience that um, will no longer sort of happen in that media doesn't really get destroyed anymore. Um, you know, which which is a good thing in many ways, but I think it makes those uh, analogue experiences sort of fewer and far between. Wonderful. Thank you very much for talking with me today, Scott. Yes. Um, and we will catch you all later. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.